Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Wednesday. This is Seattle Now. The need for more affordable housing in Seattle is massive. But here's a small but meaningful solution. Homeowners who leave what they've got to a community trust. One recent gift of prime real estate will ensure that two families have an affordable place to live. We'll hear more about it from Kathleen Hosfeld of the Homestead Community Land Trust. But first, let's get you caught up. Efforts to address gun violence in the county will be funded under a new regional office. King County Executive Dow Constantine made the announcement in Skyway alongside community partners. The shift will utilize existing services and funding. The Office of Gun Violence Prevention will have five staff and will fall under the responsibility of Public Health Seattle King County. Seattle Times reports there have been 61 killings in the city this year, already surpassing last year. If you're looking to secure a COVID-19 vaccine for a child under 12, now is a good time. The State Department of Health says healthcare providers and pharmacies across Washington have it. They've updated locations online. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advises anyone six months and older should get at least one dose of an updated shot. The state says caregivers can visit the Vaccinating Youth website for more information. We'll drop a link in our show notes. And pay attention, T-Mobile customers. The Bellevue-based phone carrier says it will start moving some users to more expensive plans this week. If your plan is affected, you'll need to opt out or pay more starting next month. CNET reports that T-Mobile started sending out notices to customers on affected plans yesterday. But that is not the kind of surprise you want. So maybe check just in case. Not to put too fine a point on it, but it means everything. You know, we were at a point where we were not going to be able to stay here. My daughter had been raised here. You know, this was the only neighborhood that she knew. That was Susan Zeman, a nurse in Seattle. She's a homeowner on Beacon Hill who acquired her home through the Homestead Community Land Trust. We could really feel confident that we were building in the community where we were going to stay forever. It meant that my partner and I have so much more financial security now because our housing cost stays the same. The Community Land Trust has a program that works like this. Someone donates a home and people who earn 80% or less of Seattle's median income can apply to buy it. A recent Seattle Times article featured a local activist, Jean Darcy. She lived in Seattle's North Beach neighborhood for 50 years. Her home near Golden Gardens was worth a million dollars, and she left it to the land trust in her will to be used for affordable housing. Now the trust is renovating her home for a new owner. Kathleen Hosfeld is here. She's the executive director of Homestead Community Land Trust. She'll help explain how the program works and how one home can help make a difference for a family seeking affordable housing. Appreciate you being here, Kathleen. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Patricia. Glad to be with you. So this choice that Jean Darcy made to donate her home to this trust that creates affordable housing is a pretty big deal. You were really fortunate to get to know her in life. So let's talk about who she was. 
Yes. Um, Jean was an amazing woman. She came to her championship of housing and homelessness issues fairly late in her life. She participated in the Women in Black organization, which would stand vigil for people who had died on the streets because they were homeless. She worked with other affordable housing nonprofits like Facing Homelessness and uh, the Low Income Housing Institute. So you name it, the resource and issue that was affecting people who are unhoused uh, was on her radar, and she was doing everything she could to advance those outcomes. You know, with these causes being so close to her heart, there are a lot of ways her estate could have been helpful to the community. How did she land on the decision to donate her house? Well, she and I talked about her land over a several-year period, and I think her her thinking evolved a lot. She originally asked me about should she put a DADU home on her lot and make that available to persons who are otherwise um, unhoused. Ultimately, as she got closer to the end of her life, she was trying to think about the nonprofits that could perpetuate the affordability of her property. The typical thing that happens when someone leaves real property to a nonprofit is that property will get sold for the cash value of the property. She didn't want that to happen. She didn't want the home to be sold to a market rate developer and a very large McMansion put on the home. She wanted to return her property to something that was within reach of the everyday people in our community who, you know, are teachers or first responders or healthcare workers. Yeah. Okay, Kathleen, I want to hear about what's going to happen on Jean's property. It's a lovely neighborhood. And so Jean had this wonderful, sturdy brick home that she kept in structurally in great condition. She put in solar panels and did all kinds of things for environmental uh, standards of the home. She lived in it for a long time. And so we're just rehabbing the home and giving it a fresh kitchen and redoing the floors and, you know, just a general refresh on the, on the home to make it look a little more modern. And then at the same location, we'll be uh, installing a detached accessory dwelling unit, which will be a separate home for, so there'll be two households that live at the property and they will share uh, the amazing gardens that uh, Jean put together. She's got apple trees and raised beds and beautiful view of of the sound and beach access to the beach below. And this gift will endure because this property will not be sold. Indeed. In the community land trust model, our homes are made affordable to first-time home buyers, but they're also kept affordable to all future buyers through agreements with our homeowners. We um, have what we call a resale formula, uh, resale restrictions on the home. People own the home, do build equity while they own the home. It would not be worth doing homeownership if they were not building equity on uh, on the homes. But they don't build so much that the home becomes unaffordable going forward to the next income qualified family. So um, we estimate that anywhere from five to seven 
other homeowners will own that home over a 50-year period, uh, meaning that uh, that though that one home that Jean lived in and the new home that we put on the property will serve um, up to 14 families in creating a first-time home buying opportunity for them. So it's it's uh, going to be a real legacy and gift uh, to future families that want to live in that neighborhood. You mentioned some of the people who this program is designed for, like first responders and educators. Who else are you trying to help with this type of housing? One of the conversations that we've had in the affordable housing and particularly the home ownership community is the issue of racial disparities in home ownership. The home owning rate for uh, people of European descent is much higher than other um, people of color. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is make home ownership attainable and accessible for people who have experienced discrimination in their families. So fair housing rules don't allow us to give preference on the basis of race or ethnicity, but we work very hard to remove barriers that would keep people with those experiences of discrimination that would keep them from buying a home through our program. So we, we provide a lot of supports and encouragement and uh, seek to increase the homeownership rates of people of, of color through our program. You know, this is such an interesting program, but it's a really small slice, right, of the affordable housing pie in this region. Tell me how it fits in. How many people are you able to help? Well, we have ourselves helped 314 households achieve first-time home buying opportunities. But to your point, affordable home ownership, even though it is technically an affordable housing category that serves people who are income qualified, it has not been a significant piece of the inventory or investments in affordable housing programs either at the state, the city, or the county level. And many uh, smaller cities in King County don't even have funds to do rental or homelessness housing, let alone home ownership. But those that do, the minority of the amount of uh, funding that they spend on affordable housing has been directed to home ownership. And perhaps back in the 1990s, that might have been justified because home prices and incomes were much more closely matched. But now the acceleration of home prices in King County has made these huge gaps between what's affordable and what exists in the market. Sometimes the difference between what our folks can afford and what is available on the market is 500,000, 600,000, 800,000, depending on, you know, if you're trying to buy in one of those million dollar markets like uh, Finney Ridge or, or North Ballard, there's an egregious mismatch of home prices with what um, ordinary people can afford. And our housing investments haven't really kept pace with that growing gap. So there's a real opportunity here to increase the investment, both public and private investment in a home ownership as an affordable housing category um, that has potential to serve a lot of folks going forward. Yeah, yeah, certainly a unique part of the market right now. You're reminding me, though, that for most people, their home, of course, is their greatest asset and 
for even a bigger slice of those people, probably they are not in a position to be as generous as Jean was, right? They need to pass that wealth on to family members. Who are the people that are able to make this donation? Absolutely. There are a lot of folks that feel really overwhelmed by the affordable housing crisis and who don't have heirs and may live in their home until they pass. And we are receiving a lot of calls and interest from folks who would like to leave their home similarly to a program like ours. It's one of those things that people can do that will make a very meaningful difference. Yeah. Let's come back to Jean's property, though. What is the timeline on that? And when can we expect some new families to move in? I think with the holidays coming up, uh, we're looking at completing the remodel and getting the DADUs uh, complete, you know, in first quarter of 2024. No later than second quarter 2024, we should be welcoming new homeowners there. Kathleen Hosfeld is the executive director of Homestead Community Land Trust. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Appreciate your interest. If you want to learn more about donating your home or property to a trust or you're a potential buyer with the program, check out homesteadclt.org. We'll drop that link in our show notes. And you can also find a link to the Seattle Times story that Dan Beekman wrote about Jean Darcy. Thank you for listening to Seattle Now. This show is only possible because of your support. Just click the link in the show notes to help make it happen. And thanks. Today's episode was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Vaughn Jones, Lucy Suchek, and Matt Martin. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.